Good morning, everyone. Today I'm going to be continuing our series entitled Standing in the Rubble, our conversation about how we engage with the world and a church that has been fundamentally changed by COVID-19 and hopefully also by Black Lives Matter. We have been and are still living through a time that will be written about in history books and taught about in schools. It will be a time that defines and redefines our world as the smoke clears and the dust begins to settle around us. How do things change for us as Christians, as the church? What happens next? During our service uh, at Pentecost a few weeks ago, I had an amazing encounter with God. It felt like as a church, as YCC, as the wider body of God, we dragged ourselves up onto the altar. No matter how we were doing at that moment, whether life was difficult, whether it was easy, whatever our situations looked like. And as we did, as we placed ourselves on the altar, God, the Holy Spirit, lifted us up and changed us. He gave us a new version of reality to see. To be able to see the world we were living in in a new way, with new eyes. Maybe, hopefully, more the way he sees things. To know the world around us. We know it's changed. But I think we're beginning to see that it's also changed spiritually as well as physically. A few weeks ago. I shared a phrase with you last time I was teaching. The phrase was, you are, therefore I am. We talked about Psalm 24 and how it declares the glory of God. And we talked about God also coming to Elijah in a whisper. And we said, God, you are, therefore I am. And in refocusing ourselves on the enormity and wonder of God, we see that because of him, we're able to be the people we're supposed to be. And as we look at this phrase, it also talks about us as a community of people. My existence depends on you and yours on mine and ours on our relationship with the planet and everything in it. There's a depth and a challenge to it that moves us forward. And it starts with the challenge that we see in Luke 10, 27, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. This morning I want to look at this commandment in the context of two women, both found in the pages of Acts of the Apostles. Their names are Lydia and Tabitha. In Acts 16 we read, On the Sabbath we were outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, 
named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia was a Gentile, a non-Jew, and she worshipped God. Philippi, the town in which this story set, probably had no synagogue because you needed 10 Jewish men to form one, and this was a Gentile town. But there were people in the town who worshipped God. However, they were women, which should have been a problem for Paul. You see, this encounter would have caused a stir at the time it was written. We are told that Lydia was a worshipper of God and a dealer in purple cloth. Now, an introduction like that may not seem very unconventional here to us, but we have to remember that the situation of the day was very different. Paul and Silas were two strange men in a town. They're meeting a woman. And meeting a woman, any woman, was not normal at that time. At this time period, this sort of encounter would have been considered outrageous. Men and women, strangers, simply didn't have encounters in public. Lydia, it tells us, was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, it took thousands of mollusks, mollusks <laughs> small shellfish, crushed and treated just to make enough dye to make a metre or two of purple cloth. So purple cloth was very expensive, seriously worth its weight in silver. Wearing purple at that time was a statement of status and wealth. Purple was the Jimmy Choo's or the Prada of the day. During this time, much of society's conventions demanded that women stayed out of the public realm entirely. But here, the Apostle Paul who, down through the centuries, has been credited with trying to keep women silent in churches, is talking to and converting a woman who went on to lead her own church in her home. Lydia is one of several women, named and unnamed, who established the first congregations in their homes. Most of these women were wealthy, women of means, who saw to it that the church had what it needed to grow and flourish in the first century. Lydia's selling purple, purple cloth, purple robes, the power of purple. She also appears to be the head of her household. There is no man mentioned, and that alone is remarkable because Lydia is travelling in the public realm to trade her wares. So a rich, single, maybe divorced or widowed woman starts a church meeting in her home, right there in Acts. And many scholars agree that the church was formed in Philippi, the church to whom Paul addressed his letters to the Philippians. This church was the first church in Europe and it was in all likelihood founded and then led by the first European convert to Christianity, a woman named Lydia. So what can we learn today in 2020 from her life? Well, Lydia opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, his message about Jesus, and it changed her life. If we open our hearts to what God is saying to us, no matter who we are, 
no matter how on the edge or unconventional we are or our story is, God can use us to change the world. She also used her strength, the strength that the wealth and privilege she had afforded her to support the church in all of its endeavours. We too can use our wealth as an asset to the church, as an asset to God. If you have money, great. When people live by faith, they look to God to provide their needs. And most of the time, God looks to those of us with some extra money to be his provision. Money is not evil. The love of money is. Putting creating wealth before loving God makes money an idol. But having and using your wealth for the glory of God is a beautiful thing and God will commend you for it. The church in Acts thrived and grew because it was supported by wealthy Christians who it appears were mostly women. Don't be ashamed of your wealth. Just use it well. Lydia encountered God in a place of prayer by the river. God turns up when we give him space to. I don't know how often these women had gathered to pray before that encounter that day. But with regularity and rhythm in our prayer lives, we give God the opportunity to speak to us and to change us. Lydia was changed and the word of God spread all over Europe. The other woman I want us to look at this morning is a woman called Tabitha. We read about her in Acts 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called to the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Joppa is a town situated on the shores of the Mediterranean and was at that time the main seaport of Palestine. Being a sailor at that time in history was a dangerous profession and many sailors who set off from Joppa never returned home. We know very little about Tabitha, her age, position in life, whether she was married, whether she lived alone or whether she was rich or poor. But we do know that her life was one of service to the poor, especially to the widows and orphans in her town. We know that there was a Christian church at Joppa and it is even possible that the believers met for worship and prayer in the home of Tabitha, just as they had in the home of Lydia. What we know for certain is that she took her practical gifting, that of being good at sewing, and made it into a spiritual gifting. 
She was choosing every day to do good and love her neighbour as herself. In return for her acts of service, she was loved and out of the great love of those she had served came a great miracle. Because of the miracle, many people believed in the Lord. All that because a woman made dresses for the poor. Or homemade scrubs for those in the NHS. Never despise a small act of service. Any act of service. If we do good because we love God, God can take our small acts of kindness and turn them into miracles. James 1.27 says, The Christian who is pure and without fault, from God the Father's point of view, is the one who takes care of the orphans and widows and who remains true to the Lord. God sees those who take care of the orphans and widows and remain true to him as pure and without fault. I believe that God's been showing us over the last few weeks and months what it is to love our neighbour again and to see people through his eyes. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love the neighbour, your neighbour as yourself. So how do we continue to do this as life begins to return to something looking a bit more normal? What can I do? Firstly, we can put ourselves in a place where God can interrupt us. A prayer meeting, a worship time, a quiet time with just you and him. Pray, talk to God, find out what it is that's important to him, what you and he can do together. Use your wealth and your privilege well. Put your money Put yourself where God wants to work and where he is already working. Support and sustain the work of the church, not because you have to, but because you can, because you want to, because it pleases God, because it brings joy and spreads his kingdom. If you have a little to spare, buy a can of beans and give it to the Lord's larder. Buy a treat for an elderly neighbour. Use what you have to do good. Use your intelligence, your imagination to sustain and come up with new ways to help the poor in our community. Those living on the streets, those on the margins, those who now find themselves unemployed. The sick, both physically and mentally, the lonely, children in care, adults in care, those suffering under domestic abuse or racism. Be hope for the hopeless a voice for those without a voice. Give God your skills and talents. Give him whatever you have in your hands. I know many of you have made PPE, delivered shopping, picked up meds, checked on, in on your neighbours and so much more. Small acts of grace and kindness are what our God is looking for. As some kind of normality returns, we need to not forget how good it is to serve. In our new reality, we need to make service one of the foundations of our new reality. The foundations of how we live. Putting others first, seeing the needs of others and knowing that not only can we help, but it's okay to help. 
And it is the way that God would have us live. Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. As we move forward into a changed reality, there's nothing that will ever be quite the same again. Let's pray that we remain ready to serve our community and love our neighbour with whatever we have in our hands. Whether our gift be large or our gift be small, God can do something amazing, even something miraculous that might change the world with it. As I finish, I'd like us to do something together, each in our own living rooms. The words of our serving dimension are about to come up on the screen. I think at this time they're taking on a new depth and meaning for us and in us. And I'd like us to declare them to God, to our community and to ourselves as an act of unity. One church, many living rooms. We believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that the church is called to reflect him. As such, we are called to love and serve the world and to be the hands and feet of God in Yeovil, the nation and the world. We believe that we can only do this through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and together with God's people. We believe that we are called to love actively, to serve in the face of oppression, poverty, injustice and brokenness. We believe this is the heart of God as revealed through scripture and as disciples of Jesus, we choose to love unconditionally. Lord, hear our declaration, I pray. It is the desire of our hearts to be your hands and feet in Yeovil, the nation and the world. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. Help us to take what we have learned about loving our neighbour here in lockdown and grow it in us. Help us to love unconditionally that the world might see you and know you through our deeds and through our words. Take what we have in our hands, our small acts of service, and do something miraculous with them, we pray. Amen.